folks, we are going to jump right into things today. You are listening to the Odyssey of Learning podcast. My name is Hunter. And I'm Courtney. And as I had mentioned in our little uh, pre-show note on the last episode, uh, we are going to be sitting down today to talk about what's been going on largely in our country, how that's been impacting our community of learners, and what we are doing as educators to be responsive to this moment. We are talking, of course, about the demonstrations of the Black Lives Matter movement as a response to, to I don't know what adjective I could pick to describe other than horrific, uh, un- unimaginable violence that has taken place uh, towards several, uh, not just one, but quite a number of Black people in our country at the hands of specifically police, uh, and the theme being police brutality. Just to kind of scale back here and kind of remind ourselves how we got here, how we got to this moment, um, it is important to acknowledge um, our history. I mean, if you consider the Black Lives Movement, this is not something recent, uh, really picked up steam all the way back in 2017 uh, with the events coming out of Ferguson, uh, as you'll recall. And it has steadily been a presence, and it brought us all the way to 2020, where we had the 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 kneeling death, the police officer kneeling on the neck of George Floyd for eight minutes and 46 seconds, coupled with a number of just tragic uh, outcomes across the country. Just less than a week ago, um, you had over in Atlanta the death of Rayshard Brooks being added to a, a list that... Um, I don't think anybody should be comfortable with. But nevertheless, you and I, Courtney, are here and we're we're having to try to deliver an education amidst all of this. And as two white educators teaching in a predominantly non-white community, there are some things that we need to take into consideration. And so just before we get into this conversation, I, I want to hear from that perspective, Courtney, what has been your reaction? When, when you see all of this unfolding, uh, what are some of the things that go through your mind and what have you been thinking about these past few weeks? I've been thinking a lot about my own race um, and the role that my race has played into my privilege to give me the opportunity to be an educator in a city that I've chosen and that I love at a job that I love, um, in a neighborhood I feel safe in. I grew up in a really homogeneously white city or part of the city in a really homogeneously white high school. And so conversations about race and equity and privilege weren't really part of my upbringing until I went to college and was fortunate enough to be admitted to a very social justice-oriented teaching program and began to confront my own, like, privilege and whiteness for the first time. So I'm reflecting a lot on some of those early realizations I had that factored into my decision to want to commit my work as an educator to non-white communities um, that have been traditionally underserved by our public education system. And now that I'm here, um, I find myself wondering so much about how to best serve those young people, how to listen to them and their needs, how to listen to 
people of color that are educators and that are activists and that have dedicated their lives to creating resources and building empathy and understanding for these complex social issues. Yeah, I think I've, I've been listening and learning a lot and reflecting and thinking about how to best serve our kids. How about you? It's hard to take in. And I've had to think pretty critically about me, myself, my family, my upbringing, everything that I have been sort of bred to believe and understand about the world and how it works. And I've had to step back and I've, I've leaned in a lot on my faith. And I've also really tried to understand this moment by listening. And I think that that's something, as a lover of history, that's something that all historians have to do, is they have to listen, they have to observe, and then they have to grow to understand these moments for what they are. And you know, considering our history, our country's, our nation's history, and understanding where that moment fits only serves, for me personally, only serves to add to the frustration that I feel. You know, in so many instances throughout all of this, I I just keep asking the question, why? And that question has led me to further dives into our past, trying to make sense of this moment and then trying to understand what it is that we need to do to move forward. And that's, that's really hard. That's really hard to grapple with. And I think too, of course, about our students, our kids, our scholars, and, and what they must be feeling in this moment. And we'll, we'll get to in a few more moments, what that exactly has looked like, how that's manifested itself in our distance learning Zoom calls and whatnot. But even even what scholars don't share, seeing the voices and seeing the activism of the young people online, in the news, in media, wherever it is, and really knowing and understanding that this is this is going to be um, not atypical. It's going to be reflective of what I'm sure a lot of our scholars are going through. And I've been trying to pay attention to that as well. And so I, I, I know just in conversations, Courtney, that you and I have already had together, um, there's been some notable reaction from our scholars and specifically how this is impacting directly their community community that we all exist in to learn together, to teach in. Um, tell us a little bit about what that's looked like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to, um, you know, the first true night of unrest in Los Angeles and the surrounding areas and that Sunday night where there was um, extreme violence against protesters and reactions of rioting and looting and um, our kids like live in this community, you know, just like we do. And many of them 
were close to a lot of violence that happened um, that night and in the following nights. I think, you know, just across the street from Odyssey. I know, I know, we're not going to Odyssey right now, but but so many of our scholars live around there, and the the Lakewood Mall became a base for the National Guard. You know, and how wow. can you as a as a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old drive by that and, and see armored vehicles and see National Guard and police station? It's disruptive, to say the least. And, you know, the processing we're going through, like they're going through their own processing too, independent of the processing we're going through together with our lessons and our conversations and advisory and, and beyond. And I just, um, I ache for them because being a teenager is hard. And being a teenager, confronting so many hundreds of years of oppression and unrest is even harder. So I think the reactions from them, you know, as you were saying, has been varied between kind of silence uh, and a lot of internal processing and clear, loud outrage. You know, we have some scholars who are out physically protesting by themselves with their families their community, some scholars that are spending a lot of time on social media, learning, educating themselves, educating others, some scholars that are falling back on the activism unit that we spent the four prior weeks to this movement really reinvigorating talking about and thinking about to what ends does activism need to exist to create social change? That's a huge question. That's like a dissertation level question that our kids are contending with right now. And so I think that they, just like us, are going through so many waves of emotion, but yet they're going through it as the context of being 15 or 16 um, and not, you know, in the same way that you and I are maybe reflecting on our, our own life experiences and our own privilege there, position to look more forward facing, okay, what can I do? What can we do? What should we do? And I think that that forward-facing need informed a lot of our decisions as a as a school. So I know that schools had to, across the country and across the world, think about how to create a space for this dialogue to exist, knowing that it's so necessary. Um, so do you want to share a little bit, Hunter, kind of about the spaces that were created at Odyssey um, through our, our morning advisory lessons? Absolutely. And, you know, what something that I reflect upon is the idea that I, I think that you have to treat this moment as a trauma. Um, maybe not trauma for every scholar everywhere, but certainly a, a trauma that you know is going to have a pretty sincere impact um, on, on a, at least a portion of that population. And I, I just, this is not any statement on on education today, but I don't think that schools traditionally have been the best at responding to national trauma. And I'm only mm-hmm. talking really from my personal experience. I remember um, going to school the morning uh, following 9-11. And I remember vividly our teachers talked to us about it, explained what was going on. And then we came to school the next day and nobody was talking about it anymore. It, it, was, it was almost as if it was business as usual. Let's carry on, carry on. And that felt weird to me. And I don't blame administration. I don't blame. I just, I, I think that 
schools then and to an extent some schools today just aren't necessarily equipped to respond to something like that. Um, and, and that takes us to to where we sort of ended up here um, at Odyssey these past couple of weeks because it, it's it's important. And the, the theme of this conversation you and I are having today is we need to have this conversation and we need to figure out how do we continue this conversation, right? It's not a one and done. This is this is not just a, all right. Let's talk about what happened and then move along, carry on. That's that that defeats the purpose. So I, I have to start by giving a shout out to our school social worker Nuriel, who has been working tirelessly to provide supports not just to our scholars in our Zoom calls during distance learning, but supports to scholars outside of distance learning, supports to families, and this response. Um, that she had crafted for our advisory sessions is no exception. I, I don't believe that she spared any detail helping scholars not only make sense of events, but understanding its place in our current culture and, and how, no matter how that impacts you as a scholar, how you could find your place in that conversation. Uh, Muriel also coming from the perspective of a black woman is is putting this together with with a certain specific connection that that brings to light perspective that maybe a lot of our scholars wouldn't otherwise be able to access. And so we started with these these advisory activities uh, guided towards um, I mean, I think you'll agree, actually complemented our activism unit pretty well. Um, So I think for a lot of our sophomores was just serving to remind them about what activism is, what activism looks like, and and calling on them to think about activists historically and currently um, that they admire. So trying to make these very personal connections with scholars, um, as well as giving them a space, if they're comfortable, to reflect on injustices they've seen in their own lives, maybe injustices that they've experienced themselves. And, you know, you, me, all of the advisors at Odyssey rely so heavily on these strong relationships that we've built, because if we didn't have those, then these conversations simply would not be productive, if at all possible. And and so giving, again, scholars that space, that safe space to feel like they can express themselves truly and authentically um, has been really important for us as a school the past uh, couple of weeks. And then once we've finished processing that, really drawing ourselves into the conversation, um, then expanding on on those uh, learnings and, and giving kids the space um, to express themselves, to be activists in their own way, in their own minds. And that could be through any number of things. And, and I, I connect it to back to our activism unit, the ways that we've seen scholars express themselves these past couple of weeks have been tremendous. They've been outstanding, whether it's some form of art. We have a lot of uh, drawers on campus and, 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 and kids who just love to paint and make things and express themselves in a number of different ways. Um, we have kids taking to social media um, with, with one scholar who went with her family, as you were alluding to earlier, to a, a Black Lives Matters protest and, and filming all of it, 
documenting not only the protest, protest itself, but her thoughts building up to it. She's never done something like this before, expressing her own identity and where she comes from and how she's impacted by all of this. Um, and then making that public and sharing that story for others to consume, I think is a really powerful uh, thing for a scholar on our campus to do. But then more broadly, just having conversations, listening, learning, and, and being open to everything that is going on, not closing ourselves off to any thing, any, any, uh, any event, any perspective, and just listening and, and allowing other scholars to making sure that they feel like they're, they're, they're being heard. And I know that you yourself, Courtney, gave scholars an additional opportunity, um, kind of bringing in media uh, to sort of perhaps ground these experiences in, in another perspective. Tell us a little bit about um, what you ran through with some scholars. Yeah, I mean, of course, I participated in the advisory activities that you explained um, and that Muriel put together with my group of advisees. Uh, but I noticed in so many of their reflections on the activism project more broadly, and then those conversations and advisory more specifically, that a film kept coming up over and over and over. The film, The Hate You Give. Have you heard of it? I'm, I'm very familiar with it, yes. Okay, so that film, which was you know, a young adult novel written by Angie Thomas, um, came out in the last year, couple of years, year maybe? Yeah, 2018, I think. Okay, um, and mirrors almost eerily closely what is happening right now um, you know, what, what has frankly continued to happen over the last hundreds of years um, with Black people, particularly Black men, getting murdered at the hands of police based on prejudice and, and misunderstanding and racism. And the kids recognize so much of their current reality in that film. And they had a lot to say. So I wanted to create a space where we could view the film together and have conversations about what does this film mean? How does it connect to what's happening right now? How does it teach us about the Black experience, not only about oppression faced by the Black community, but also about joy found within that oppression, right? Hope found within that oppression. And we talked, you know, it was like a four and a half hour Zoom call with kids from all across the school that were interested in continuing this conversation. And we talked about joy and hope and racism and injustice and allyship. And we critically analyzed the text like you would in a college level English class, you know, looking at the film analytically, thinking about what it meant thematically, drawing connections to the present day. It was like not only an empathy based activity, but also like a highly intellectual analysis-based activity. Um, and watching the scholars bring forward a foot that was caring yet critical to build that collective understanding of like, what does this film mean? What does it mean to me, to our community, to this moment in time or this movement we have in front of us? It was really difficult and also really empowering. I think for me as the facilitator and for the scholars that, that participated, it was a group of freshmen and sophomore scholars, one from every advisory at Odyssey, 
Uh, so scholars that don't normally interact with each other, right, all coming together to have this conversation. It was really cool. I felt like our school community collectively grew stronger, even though there is this immense distance between us, given the fact that we're still in quarantine because of COVID-19. So it was a really powerful experience and one that I'm hoping we can iterate on um, to create a, a like larger learning opportunity for more scholars come this fall. And I think it was such an important exercise for you to walk scholars through or to facilitate, I think is the perfect word, especially because, as you know, as educators, we are constantly finding ways to help scholars access uh, content or in this case, access current events and things that are happening in our world. Um, and, And we oftentimes turn to media in order to make that access possible. And I, I couldn't think of a better film uh, to to put that um, in comparison to than The Hate You Give. And so thank you for for stepping up and, and, and going out to, to put that together. I think that was really special. Of course. And, and the other thing that was cool that came out of it is that they um, were able to, at the end, name some really clear questions and like points of confusion that they were having. And then together we worked with a couple of other advisors and a couple of scholars who wanted to contribute uh, resources to build a Google Drive folder that had additional learning experiences, articles, videos, social media posts, additional films to watch, books to read, that really hit at some of those more specific questions that they were asking. So I think that was super cool um, to watch our community continue to come together to build this ongoing database of resources that I'm sure will continue to grow as these conversations continue to happen. And speaking of conversations continuing to happen, that's definitely something that not only you and I will talk about here, but something that we as a staff need to be prepared to continue discussing and to continue talking about. And and the natural questions that come following these conversations are, what more can we do for our scholars? Or maybe be better to say, what more should we be doing? And how do we keep this conversation going. I, I know that from our perspective at in terms of scheduling, like your your standard public high school, the, the timing is a little ill in the sense that um, we only had about, what, a week and a half to, to, to really dive into this um, with our scholars and, and to give them support as necessary. I mean, the, the couple of days following the, the death of George Floyd and really when protests started to, to, to become quite noticeable, we still had exhibition going on yeah. and, and we didn't, we didn't have the space that we would normally have to talk about it. And then as soon as exhibitions done, we're already um, simultaneously trying to wrap up the school year. So now we have this, this summer break. We are meeting with some of our scholars during summer school, but not in the context of advisory, uh, more in the context of let, let's help give you the support to get your, your work done. So you know, just kind of thinking ahead and, and brainstorming to the fall and, and everything in between, uh, Courtney, what is something that you feel would be really important for us to continue to develop as a staff um, in, in regards to racism, in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, um, in regards to all of it? Yeah, I think that for me, the realization that keeps coming forward in conversations I'm having with kids and conversations I'm having with other advisors at Odyssey is just that there's this really wide spectrum of understanding 
of what racism is and how it impacts virtually every layer of society. And on that spectrum, we have scholars that are more towards like, I might need a rundown of like, what even is this concept of racism? What is anti-Blackness? And where is it in my life? You know, maybe I know that it's somewhere, but I don't know where. And then we have scholars on the other end of the spectrum that have been having these conversations and doing this learning their entire life. And they need support to go to that next level. You know, like, how do I talk to my grandparents about the Black Lives Matter movement? I understand it. I know most of the history behind it. I'm educating myself regularly, but how do I facilitate a conversation at home that's going to be meaningful? Right? Or other scholars that are like, I want to critically analyze Blackness in film. And so realizing that they're eager to have these conversations, but that they're all operating from so many different places. It's like when our scholars come into the humanities classroom, they have a ton of different interests and a ton of different needs. And we need to be able to be prepared to meet all of those different interests and needs with support. And so I think this conversation is no different for me. It's like realizing that we're all on this spectrum of learning, wanting to go in the same direction, moving forward and creating powerful change, but knowing that we're going to have to serve each scholar and each advisor differently throughout these conversations that reach us towards a similar goal, to me is like imperative. And I think it will be woven into everything that we do moving forward. So I don't know, like, what do you think that we need? I mean, okay, so if we're going to break it up between scholars and advisors. What do you think the scholars need to continue this conversation? Or what have you learned from them that they've said they need? Well, something that I think about when we as a staff, when we as advisors have gotten together to reflect on the work that we are doing around these things with our scholars, not to mention the fact that, again, we're doing this on a Zoom call. You know, when we would normally be circled up together in a classroom, um, face to face, side by side, you know, half of my scholars, they don't have their cameras turned on. So we, we can't even necessarily see each other as we're talking about these things. And in my case specifically, my advisory in particular has been fairly quiet. I, I even had a, a smaller group of about two to three scholars who confided in me after one of our advisory sessions to say, you know, Simmons, we want to talk. We want to speak out, but we know that if we do, we'll be met with silence. And we can't think of anything more uncomfortable right now than to be met with silence from our peers on these issues. And I get it. I get it. I get that that's, that's powerful. And so as an educator, I'm left to wonder, okay, what explains the silence? What could possibly lead scholars to, to, to refrain from, from, from sharing anything? And there's, there's a lot of things that come to mind, of course. Um, a lack of experience, a lack of awareness, a lack of knowledge, um, fear discomfort, all of these um, sort of negative feelings that can crop up and, and oftentimes do crop up when issues around racism and, and issues around police brutality begin to surface in our classroom discussions. And, and something that I have been falling back on these past couple of weeks is the idea that we learn in that discomfort. And, and I feel like that applies to so many things. And that's not to say I'm trying to make my scholars uncomfortable, but by continuing these conversations, 
we can get to that point. We can make the uncomfortable comfortable, or at least tolerable to the point where they could begin to engage in the conversation. And I think that that conversation takes so many different pathways. I'm really eager to begin these conversations with my entire advisory again in the fall, because I think that there's so much that we could talk about. Having conversations about what it means to be an ally. We, we had a group of scholars that presented uh, a number of different um, uh, features during Black History Month, as you'll recall. And, and part of that conversation was allyship and, and what that looks like. Um, and little did we know at that time how relevant that conversation, um, unfortunately, would be. But having those conversations regularly using advisory um, and, and our relationships with scholars as a vessel to move that conversation forward. And then also reminding scholars that even if you don't have or you don't feel that you have a direct connection to these events uh, and to these circumstances, understanding how to use their own interests and their own passions to explore these issues. Because when we talk about equality and we talk about equity, they're not confined to race. Um, you, you can expand it to a number of different issues and topics. I mean, we've been talking, frankly, about environmental equality and environmental equity um, throughout our entire sophomore year with these scholars. And so understanding and helping them understand that they have the tools to access these conversations and to bring that into their own experiences is going to be imperative. But I know the conversation doesn't end with what you or I do with our scholars. I think we got to flip the camera around to ourselves as advisors and, and a staff. And Courtney, I know you have some some ideas about what that might look like for us uh, moving forward. What, what have you been thinking about? Yeah, I, I just find myself reflecting a lot on how many powerful conversations have happened in professional development spaces at any school I've been at, but particularly at Odyssey, um, being part of the founding of a new school. It just means that every single thing you do is up to you. You're not inheriting any institutional decisions. You're building them every day. And I imagine a fall where conversations of race and equity in education are going to be center stage with those professional development conversations. There's so many decisions we make at Odyssey around assessment, around school culture, around connection, classroom management, curriculum design. And I think that we need to continue to build a social justice oriented lens with which to view those decisions and make them. Um, and in that social justice oriented lens, the idea of race needs to be front and center. And I think that this movement that we're experiencing right now, this social uprising that is occurring around the country and around the world is, is really going to inform a lot of the upcoming decisions that we make as a school. And I think it should. And so I'm hoping for a fall of of lots of learning and investigating and continuing conversations that, you know, we've of course started to have, this isn't a new idea for Odyssey. We serve mostly non-white students. It's like the, these ideas of equity and justice are built into our design, but they're not necessarily the guiding principle to our conversations in the way that they can be. And so I'm hoping for more of that. 
you know, I haven't even mentioned this uh, to you yet. I'm, so I'll mention it to you here uh, on the podcast. Um, it was back in, I want to say 2017, maybe, um, at my old school, we as a staff actually decided uh, to center all of our PD for the year around cultural competency. And um, so and any, any space that was given to us during the year after we were done talking about sort of nuts and bolts administrative stuff, uh, we were working with uh, experts uh, in the field around what it means to be culturally competent, culturally responsive, and, and what and how our role as teachers, as educators, was so imperative in that development. I, I think that those conversations are incredibly relevant now, and um, I, I'd, I'd love to share those with you uh, later on, and, and perhaps even bring that into our conversations with. Um, with our admin team, our staff, as to maybe something we'd like to, to take up uh, for our upcoming academic year. Um, but it's just something I'm reminded of, and you know, any way that any ways that we could think of to continue this conversation in a productive, proactive way is, uh, as we've mentioned, uh, crucial. So um, definitely something I think we can look into. But uh, your, your your talk about that reminded me, so thank you uh, for, for for prompting that. Of course. And I, and I also think, I also think too, there's like this wealth of knowledge of theorists and activists and teachers that I have had my whole life and that all of us have had that have gone through credentialing programs where we have a baseline understanding of, of what culturally competent social justice education is. And I think it's just reaccessing some of those things that we we've learned, you know, and, and pulling those experts back into our lives and pulling the reading back into our lives and, and reinvigorating some of those conversations. And I think that by doing that, we can learn from our past selves and learn from the things that our past selves learned from and, and really create uh, like a powerful momentum forward, you know, that's going to be rooted in, in these ideas that we so desperately need to be thinking about not leaving those ideas in the past in isolation, but but continuing to recycle them and bring them to the forefront so that uh, we're doing everything we can uh, to, to, be, to be responsive in that sense. Is that what I hear you saying? Definitely. Awesome. Well, man, oh man, what, uh, what a way to close out, uh, for all intents and purposes, the first season, the first full season of the Odyssey of Learning podcast. It's been a heck of a ride, Courtney. How are you feeling at this point? I'm really glad we've got it recorded somewhere. <laughs> this is going to be like the archive of all archives to look back on. I mean, 25 episodes is uh, is nothing to shake a stick at. I think for uh, for the work of an academic year, I think uh, it's it's something to be proud of. And yeah, as you mentioned, just to have all of this cataloged and um, for for us to to look back and reflect on. Um, to understand how we've learned and how we've grown um, throughout the courses uh, of our careers is is really special, and I'm I'm just really happy that I've I've got to spend all that time with you and and to reflect on that with you here uh, on the podcast. Likewise, and this I mean it's it's hard to not feel like this is a goodbye, but I know that it's not because <laughs> we've got summer school together for three more weeks. Um, which we're going to have to talk about at some other time. But yeah, the, the great journey of, of founding a school and being at Odyssey has been um, a joy to do with you and to talk about with you and to, to get recorded with you. So 
appreciate you and, and all of the hard work that you do producing all the ums and likes out of my voice when you're in post-production. <laughs> Happy to do it. And likewise, it's uh, it's been a blast. It's been fun. Um, and we will definitely be talking about summer school uh, and how things have been going, especially summer school via distance learning uh, certainly presents its own uh, unique obstacles. Um, and, and despite not knowing, not having the remotest clue as to what the fall is going to look like, uh, I still want to ask, I, I want to end here uh, positively, what are you looking forward to the most about the upcoming academic year? <sighs> it's such a good question. Um, I'm looking forward to watching our scholars continue to grow. It is nothing I could have ever dreamt to get to be with the same group of kids for three years and already the immense progress that they've made as people and as academics and as thinkers in the last two years. It's like by the end of next year, they're going to be a whole nother level upgraded um, and, yeah. and getting to participate in that journey. They're just so integral to the design of this school. You know, their DNA will be at Odyssey forever as they help us make decisions and are flexible with all the weird craziness we ask them to do and to put up with. And not to mention the like virtual world of, you know, that's like a pioneering class for so many reasons. Yeah, man. And I, I cannot wait to see what they do next. How about you? I don't think it would be hyperbolic to suggest that so many of our scholars have grown more in this two-year span, our sophomores have grown more in this two-year span than I grew during my four years in high school. And, and to be able to be a witness and to attest to that has been phenomenal. So I, like you, am very much looking forward to how our scholars continue to grow, how they are going to become even more autonomous in their learning next year with things like uh, taking community college courses, having mentorship opportunities throughout the entire school year, all things that in due time we will be detailing for you uh, on this podcast. Um, but man, oh man, I, I am keeping my fingers crossed that we're going to be able to see our kids in person again in the fall. I know, um, I miss them. Distance learning has been tough, guys. It has been so, so difficult. And probably towards the top of that list is the fact that we haven't been able to interact with our kids in person. Um, and, and that takes so much out um, of our capacity as educators, but it also, um, it, it also takes away a lot, I feel, from, from the learning opportunities that our kids have and the ability to collaborate and work together and to enjoy each other's company. With social distancing measures in place, of course, um, I, I am really hoping for, for a return to the physical classroom space and assuming that we can make that happen as a district, as a state, as a country, you know, for however long we're able to sustain that would be a true blessing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that myself. So Me too. Decidedly, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that about does it uh, for us on this episode. So until next time, until next season, this has been the Odyssey of Learning podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Of course, my name is Hunter. And I'm Courtney. Have a wonderful summer, folks. Yay! Yes.